1: Welcome to World Shared Practices Forum. I'm Dr. Jeff Burns, Chief of Critical Care at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. We're very pleased to have with us today Dr. Peter Remensberger. Dr. Remensberger is Professor of Pediatrics and Intensive Care, and he's also the Chief of the Division of Pediatric and Neonatal Intensive Care at the University Hospital of Geneva in Geneva, Switzerland. Peter, welcome, and uh, thank you for being with us today. I wonder if we could begin by asking, Um, We're coming up on 14 years since the uh, high versus low tidal volume study of the ARDSnet reported in the New England Journal. It remains in our field one of the most uh, important and lasting findings over the last decade. And yet, how should we think about it in pediatrics? What is the evidence in pediatrics to guide us on thinking about lung protective
2: strategies and how do you interpret the literature? Thank you. That's... uh Quite an interesting uh, approach. And perhaps we start first and look at the ARDS network trial, what he really told us. The ARDS network trial was comparing the 6 ml per kilo of tidal versus 12 ml per kilo of tidal in about 860 patients randomized to these two treatments protocols and showed the reduction in mortality from 38 to 31% for the 6 ml per kilo group. So if you think about what this means, means that you had a relative risk reduction of 20%, an absolute risk reduction of 7%, which means you need to treat 14 patients to have the benefit for one patient. And also I'm to focus shortly, because we come probably later on this discussion back, about plateau pressures. Plateau pressures in the high tidal volume group were about 33 in the mean, But there are only 25 in the low tidal volume group. So the question is, what do we know in pediatrics? And actually, there is not any data in terms of a controlled trial existing at the moment. So before we go into this, we want to have a bit further look also again on the different adult trials. And the different adult trials, they were either comparing small tidal volumes versus large tidal volumes, or they were comparing a kind of a long protective approach, limitation of peak pressures versus a, a less strict control group con- uh, that was not controlled by low tides or high tide volumes. And if you look at the studies, there's three studies that have been negative in outcome. So it's the Brochard, Broward, and Stewart, Stewart study. And there were two studies, the ARDS Network and Amato study that were, were actually positive. What was the difference in terms of tidal volume? In terms of tidal volumes, as you can see, the I3 groups, the negative studies, compared a tidal volume range of 7 ml per kilo for the low protective or for the protective lungs group versus 10 ml for the control group versus the two other ones, the positive ones, they compared larger difference in tidal volumes, 6 versus 12. So the question, if you try to interpret this data beside the overall meta-analytic uh, clear evidence that the risk ratio reduced with numbers clearly below one, then if you compare now and look at this data, you could say, well, I could interpret the data different. So six mil might be good, seven milliliters already too much. Or you could say 10 milliliters is still okay, but certainly 12 meters is too much. So that's what we could question us looking at this data, and therefore I think we have to go a little bit more in details.
1: We'd like to turn again to our colleagues around the world and ask a question. Please first state your city and country location. The question is, what tidal volume do you target when initiating mechanical ventilation in a pediatric
0: patient?
2: We're back now with Dr. Rimsberger. So, what do you know from the pediatric studies? The pediatric studies we have first a historical control study that was actually done in Toronto, where they were looking in a historical control in the years 1988 to 92, ventilating in the mean patients with about tidal volumes about 10 plus minus milliliters per kilo. Later on. The years 2000-2004, they seem to have reduced the tidal volumes in the average around 8 millilitres per kilo. That's a time when the first uh, uh, ventilation or tidal volume limitation studies came out, the one from Amato and uh, the ARS network. And what they could show that actually outcome was clearly better for the recent or in the recent group, meaning when they were using more the tidal volumes. And just pay your attention also, the patho pressure was clearly lower, where below 30 centimeters of water exactly were 27.8 plus minus. We have then another intriguing study. This was a prospective observational study. And in this study, the uh, New Zealand and Australian group looked into patients coming into the units with presenting acute lung injury corresponding nowadays to the, the, the definition of mild ARDS. And showed that this patient had, during the course of the ICU stay, a 35% mortality. When looking now at the relationship in different tidal volume strata, looking at the low strata of about six milliliter per kilo as so a medium tidal volume, the second group eight milliliter per kilo as so a medium tidal volume, the third group about 9 mL mm per kilo to tidal volume, understanding this what the tidal volumes this patient have seen during their stay in the ICU. There was clearly a negative uh, or a inverse tidal volume relationship to mortality, showing a knots ratio of 0.82 for the low tidal volume setting, which means that actually higher tidal volumes were uh, ending up with better outcome. So we could ask us the question if the study does not show us that nine ml per kilo or higher would be probably better than using low tidal volumes. We have another study, again a retrospective study from the group from Los Angeles, from Robin Rakamani, where they looked in their patients coming into the ICU independent from their baseline disease and actually we're looking at different days, what was the tidal volume they received, we're correlating this to mortality. So you can see initial tidal volumes, tidal volumes at day one, tidal volumes at day two and tidal volumes at day three and if you can, if you look carefully, you see that the mortality rate was for all three or four days assessed in tidal volume delivery, the mortality rate was the lowest for patients being ventilated with tidal volumes above 10 ml per kilo. So, again, quite intriguing, uh, this data they, they could show us. So, you may even say more than 10 ml per kilo is best, which would mean that the common understanding that tidal volumes is associated with mortality is probably not true in pediatric patients.
1: Well, Peter, um, that's a very helpful overview. And as you noted, uh, those aren't randomized controlled trials. And so it's difficult to account for differences in levels of severity, uh, the origins of these acute lung injuries, et cetera. So how are we to put this together? If that's the limited data, how do you think about how we should be
2: ventilating children? I think to go back in physiology, we may help us to understand what's really going on in these patients. So, I cannot give you any idea in terms of numbers how you should ventilate. Because we have to remember that physiology and the response on ventilation, mechanical ventilation, a patient will be the clue issue that we have to discuss about. So, remember, any injured lung, any lung with lung disease, has a reduced aerable volume within the lung because we may have some collapse, we may have some consolidation. Which means that in any of these lungs, the aerable lung volume, the functional lung volume for gas exchange is reduced compared to what the patient should have at this age. And this actually has been described by the so-called baby lung concept by the adult people. What they meant with this baby lung concept is that actually in an adult patient having ARDS, that the aerable lung volume portion was small. And when comparing then the lung tissue that was variable with what they measured in a normal healthy child of the age of five to six years, they could show that the lung tissue was corresponding to about this amount. And this is the, where they coined the, the term baby lung which for us pediatricians may be perhaps a little bit strange, because when we, the adults, talk about baby lungs and babies, that's not what we are usually talking about as, uh, as being a baby. However, there is an important message in this, in this study, because this group actually looked then into the re- relationship between the static compliance of the respiratory systems, expressing the stiffness of the respiratory system, compared to this residual inflatable lung volume as expressed here as a percentage of the expected normal lung volume and they could show clearly that finally there was a direct relationship between compliance and residual inflated lung volume which means the bigger the residual inflated lung volume the better the compliance and vice versa and i think we have to think through this Uh, at this moment, with this tidal volume limitation story at the moment uh, in the world, because we have to think about what really happens in these lungs. And what the adults could show us is that the ARDS lung is, by this definition, given by the static compliance, rather small than stiff, because the residual volume that you still can use for ventilation is small. And these questions, in my mind, dictate that actually a, milliliter, a certain number of milliliters per kilo should be the specific tidal volume we have to search for. Because comparing tidal volume to body weight might be not the right thing, because we know that our patients have small functional lungs in a big body. So perhaps we should think much more about tidal volume to be used in in relation to this baby-lung ratio, which means the expected normal lung volume we can use in such patients. And if you go now back and look at the two studies I quoted before, here the the retrospective study from Los Angeles, from Ravinder Kemani, and we look in what tidal volumes were used by attending physicians in relation to the entry uh, injury score, the Murray injury score, we can see a direct correlation. So the less sick the patient was, expressed as a low lung injury score, the higher tidal volume was used in the patient. When patients came in much more sicker, the physicians tended to use smaller tidal volumes. So this would suggest that actually the physicians were doing what we should uh, think about is reducing tidal volume using small tidal volumes in patients with small functional lung parts. Whereas they could use much higher tidal volumes in patients with uh, more arable lung volumes. So this would indicate that actually the tidal volume should be in relation to the disease of uh, the or the disease C- severity of the lung. Identically, when you go back and look at the New Zealand study, this prospective observational study, we talked before that they observed inverse relationship between applied tidal volumes and mortality, but there was a direct relationship with the resulting pressures observed in these patients. So the higher the plateau pressures used, the higher the mortality, the lower the pressures used, the lower mortality. So we might interpret do an interpretation of this data as follows. So that, that the pre-existing degree of sickness might relate to mortality. So less compliant lungs would actually result in high pressures despite using small tidal volumes. If you have more compliant lungs, you may end up with lower pressures and can actually use larger tidal volumes or vice versa. So, interpretation, best interpretation of the findings, large tidal volumes are associated with better outcome, might be simply the fact that the physicians tended to use larger times in the less sick patients, smaller times in the sicker patients, and when using pressure-controlled modes, actually high pressures were needed to deliver low tidal volumes, or vice versa, low tidal volumes were generated using high pressures. And we have to think about this in our settings because we have the baby lung scenario in different pathologies in our audience. So, as I said, the allowable tidal may depend on pathology and disease severity. And we think about other types of small lungs. We do not have only the ARDS patients. We have patients with lung hypoplasia. We have patients with congenital diaphragmatic hernia. We have patients with infant respiratory death syndrome surfactant deficiency tending to collapse. You have patients with lower collapse. We have patients with pneumonia. And all of them have in common that they have a reduced total lung capacity, which means the permissivity of using large tidal volume is very limited through the, by the small lungs. And so let's let's just talk through a scenario. Let's say I'm believing, because of the adult trial, that I should use 6 ml per kilo and I have a patient with a reduced total lung capacity because of his underlying disease or his underlying lung pathology, which may be uh, congenital, if I have a reduced total lung capacity of 50%, and I give to this patient 6 mL per kilo, this will end up to a volume amount that corresponds to 12 mL per kilo if this patient would have two fully normal functioning lungs. So, in this situation, to stay on the six ml per kilo idea, we would have to reduce the of to three ml per kilo because there's a small lung in a big body. So, therefore, we may end up in these patients with this very small tyloids we can afford in such diseased lung with the need for permissive hypercapnia, which is a result of trying to be protective or we may actually have to switch over to high frequency oscillation in trying to reduce this uh, increasing CO2 levels or more recently more often again used the uh, extracorporeal support like ECMO and extracorporeal CO2 removal. And I think it's also what we can see similar from the adult data if you look a little bit in more details in the IRDS network trial. The IRDS network trial uh, or a group afterwards looked into what of, what was the disease stage of these patients since coming into unit and uh, they expressed it as different compliance levels so patients came in sick with low compliance other patients came in with less important lung disease with better compliance and the group, group from deans actually was looking into a cutoff level of a compliance of 0.6 Describing patients with a compliance below 0.6 ml per centimeter of kilogram as poor compliance patients, uh, low compliance patients, and patients being above as high compliance patients. Interestingly, when we look now on the right side on this uh, figure, we're going to see that the tidal volumes were the lower the tidal volumes, the lower the mortality for patients with poor lung compliance, whereas in patients coming in with uh, with good lung compliance this relationship was inversed. And it's astonishing, but as you can see here, with 12 ml per kilo tidal volume, the mortality was lower than when they were randomized to 6 ml per kilo. So probably in this study, pre-randomization compliance had an important impact of outcome. So means disease, the, the degree of disease. And the study shows also that not every patient will be harmed by using 12 mil per kilo. So we may have to think a little bit dip- different about Tylvoms in our patients than just deciding six mil per kilogram is the best for everybody. And and we look now once what happens in patients that have no lung disease. Is there a correlation between tidal volumes and developing acute lung injury within the ICU stay? There is one study that is clearly indicating that tidal volumes above 12 mL seem to be harmful for all patients. Whereas tidal volumes getting closer to physiologic tidal volumes that are usually six to seven mil per kilo. And here expressed on the left side on this graph, minus or below nine mil per kilo of tidal volume, there was clearly a lower proportion of patients that developed acute lung injury. So it means we have to be uh, careful, but in patients that have normal lungs, probably largely larger tidal ones may be acceptable, whereas in patients where you have very sick lung, Larger may cause some problems.
1: Peter, that's a very helpful overview. But can I push you a little bit and take it into a practical context so that we can understand how you think about this? Um, Let me give you two examples. Uh, A patient comes back from the operating room after congenital heart repair. They have no restrictive lung disease or pulmonary hypoplasia. Could you talk about how you're going to ventilate that patient? And then could you talk about a second case where a patient does have restrictive lung disease or pulmonary hypoplasia, such as congenital diaphragmatic hernia, how are you going to ventilate that patient? Take us through
2: those two
1: scenarios, if you could. Okay.
2: So if you have a patient where you consider that he has no lung disease, he needs ventilation, or classic or post-operative patient, we can start with an assumption. And I will start with the assumption that based on knowing that his respiratory mechanics should be almost normal, that actually his lung compliance or respiratory system compliance is normal. So let's say his compliance is about 0.8, 0.9 or 1 millilitre per kilo uh, per centimetre of water. So if I want to give him a tidal volume that seems to be reasonable, Having said before that a patient with a normal lung or a normal size of a functional lung could be ventilated with more or less physiologic tidal volumes, I could actually think and tending to try to ventilate him in the range of 6 to 8 ml per kilo of body weight. So to achieve this with a normal compliance patient, 0.9 to 1 milliliter centimeter water of body weight, I would actually need about a delta pressure between the PEEP set and the plateau of about 7 to 10 centimeters of water, which is the driving pressure, the one that is insufflating the lung. So if I take now a PEEP level of five, which might be a standard uh, in, in a unit, So you take the PIP of 5 and add this driving pressure, you should not end up higher than about 12 to 15 of plateau pressure. In this case, I could think about ventilating this patient with normal respiratory rates for age, because he has, has normal compliance. So if this patient needs more than 15 centimeters of water, something might be wrong. Either my assumption is wrong and he has lung disease, he got uh, over flooded in the operating room and has interstitial edema, or he has some major lung collapse or something, or my ventilator settings might be wrong in terms of time settings. So an inappropriate short inspirate time or an inappropriate uh, uh, short expiry time, both may lead to reduced tidal volumes because I'm not leaving the system follow that the behavior, which is usually expressed as the time constant of the respiratory system. So, on the other hand, if I have a patient that has severe restrictive or moderate restrictive lung disease, let's say an ARDS patient, or also a patient with lung hypoplasia syndrome, let's say congenital diaphragmatic hernia, In these patients, I know from the beginning that this respiratory system compliance is reduced. And if the respiratory system compliance is reduced in a sick patient, let's say it's about one-third to perhaps one-half of a normal lung compliance, our range of compliance is in the range of 0.3 to 0.5 milliliters centimetres of water per kilogram. So in this patient Because I know he has a small functional lung, I would tend to start with smaller tidal volumes than physiologic. So maybe it's 4 to 5 ml per kilo, which in some patients may be even still too much. So if I take this compliance value, I want to give him 4 to 5 ml per kilo, I would need a driving pressure about 10 to 15 centimeters of water. This means that, I at the PEEP, my plateau pressure should not be above 15 to the most 20. In these patients, I have a restrictive lung disease. I ventilate with smaller tidal volumes, so I know from the beginning that I may have to choose a respiratory rate above normal AR rates for age. And that's the way how I would approach, in a first step, a patient coming in my unit. So I start with a basic assumption trying to get an idea does this patient have a restrictive lung pattern and this is usually a patient that comes in hypoxic or with CO2 retention and this patient I would be very careful to start with low tidal volumes whereas a patient that comes in with a normal lung or almost normal lung I would be much more reluctant to use larger tidal volumes And I have immediate response on the pressures I need, or I will end up as plateau pressures to know if my reasoning was right and if I'm going the right way with my ventilator. Peter, that's very helpful. But I wonder if if we could draw
1: this out as you well know. uh, Plateau pressures are typically used in the adult world in the volume-limited mode on inspiratory hold maneuver, and then you can uh, reasonably accurately measure the plateau pressure. Um, in our world, thinking about pressure-limited ventilation in children, how would you describe really what we should be targeting um, and what are the important principles? We'd like to turn again to our colleagues around the world and ask you a question. Please first state your city and country location. The question is, at what plateau pressure or peak inspiratory pressure do you target in managing your patients with acute lung
0: injury? We're back now with Dr. Rimsberger.
2: You're completely correct. I mean, we talk about plateau pressure based on the experience in the adult field, based on the fact that volume control ventilation is much more often used. But finally, it's the question between plateau pressure and what's the difference to the positive inspiratory pressure during a short inspiratory pause, which means usually during ongoing ventilation, that your uh, inspiratory flow comes to a zero condition before you cycle into expiration. And in this situation both you have during plateau pressure like during the the PIP, so the Positive Inspiration Pressure Control you have a no flow condition which reflects you the real distending pressure at the end of inspiration. So I think we can quite Uh, mix these terms up in terms of pressure limitation because we just come from different definitions using either volume or pressure control but suggesting that you should have in both votes either volume or pressure control always a very short inspiratory pause where you get to a zero flow condition on the inspiratory flow before you cycle into expiration if you do not follow this you're going to use higher pressures to deliver a tidal volume and in my opinion that's already the first step we have to think about is that we have to adjust inspiratory and expiry times according our time constant or the patient's time constant and not just starting to use a short inspiratory time because of somebody told me or using a long inspiratory time because somebody told me with this you can achieve better oxygenation. The question is how much pressure do we need the most, as a maximum level, to deliver a certain tidal we are looking for. And I think there is the major pressure uh, question. But if you go back now and look, what do we know really about this pressure limitation limit? We know from the adult experience that actually these different studies, there were some negatives, as I mentioned before, so it's the Brouwer, the Brochard, and the Stewart study. They actually were limiting pressures on both Arms. So, for the high tidal volume or the conventional arm, traditional arm, they were limited their peak pressures or their plateau pressures. Whereas the other studies, limiting tidal volumes, so comparing six versus twelve milliliter, they were not limiting any pressure in the twelve meter group, neither in the six milliliter group. And when we will look now at these two studies, we, at these studies, we can see that actually. The studies who were negative, even in the high tidal volume group, or the pressure limitation group, their plateau pressures never went above 32, whereas in the other two studies they were positive, the traditional group had much higher plateau pressures. So it means that probably the cutoff point somewhere for the adult patients seems to be the 32 value. because. Below 32, no difference was observed independent of tidal volumes. So maybe it's not only tidal volume that was important, it might be that the plateau pressure limitation had the same effect uh, in terms of lung protection. And if you look at the Cochrane database, uh, looking back on the, uh, the importance of plateau pressure limitation, again, there is clearly that the proctative versus conventional comparison actually showed that there was no difference in outcome as long as plateau pressures were below or equal to 31 in the traditional group. Whereas as soon as the plateau pressure was higher in the control group, there was a difference shown, which is clearly shown by here an effect uh, an effect size of 0.74 with a range from 0.63 to 0.87. And what do we know from pediatric experience? We have similar clear signals there. When we look back on this observation study from the ASPEC group, we can see there was a clear relationship between observed plateau pressures and mortality. So the higher the plateau pressure, the higher the mortality, with an odds ratio of 1.1. If you take the Kemani group, so the Kemani study, Actually showed the same. What they were looking, these patients, what were the plateau pressures who for the patients who survived compared to those who died? And there's clear again in the group that died or that the higher mortality, plateau pressures were clearly higher. They were in the range of 30, 24 to 34 in the range, whereas the survivors were much lower. So based on this data, we may even Actually, hypothesize today that limiting plateau pressures to below or equal 28 centimeters of water in children might be a better approach than even allowing for 30 or 32 centimeters of water as shown in the adult. We'd like to turn again to our colleagues around the world
1: and ask a question. Please first state your city and country location. The question is. Does your PICU utilize transpulmonary pressure to guide mechanical ventilation? If you do not, would you if a system was readily available?
0: We're back now with Dr. Rimsberger.
2: However, we have to remind ourselves that what a pressure and area pressure really means. An area pressure is what we apply outside. We apply it to a system a respiratory system that has a compliant or less compliant lung and that has a thoracic cage. And we have the repetition of the, the, the compliance of the, uh, the thoracic cage, uh, the chest wall and of the lung. So if I have a low intrapleural pressure and apply a airway pressure of 25, Then I will end up with a transplant pressure of 25, given that the pleural pressure will be zero. But in a patient with a reduced chest wall compliance, for example, because he has uh, important chest wall edema, or also if he has important abdominal distension, then we may have an increased intrathoracic pressure. So my applied area pressure of 25 will be reduced, or will result in a low transpulmonary pressure, because the transpulmonary pressure is the alveolar pressure minus the pleural pressure. In consequence, if my transpulmonary pressure is low, the volume effect will be much lower. And that's probably another thing we often forget, that we work on airway pressures, which means that in some patients with severe chest wall edema, we may need to increase our airway pressures still to be able to deliver as a reasonable tidal volume according to the disease stage of the lung. We'd like
1: to turn again to our colleagues around the world and ask you a question. Please first state your city and country location. The question is, in your PICU, do you utilize recruitment maneuvers in patients with acute lung injury or ARDS? If so, what type do you use?
0: We're back now with Dr. Rimsberger.
2: And this has been shown nicely in a study that was looking into recruitment effect. It's a study in adult patients, where they actually looked in 22 ARDS patients being ventilated with six mil per kilo. Uh, how recruitment was effective by using a sustained inflation so CPAP to 40 centimeters for 40 seconds and as often observed and seen in the literature some people reported that this kind of maneuver was efficient in improving oxygenation others showed that it was not efficient and this group looked now into patients that were so-called responders having a clearly increase in oxygenation after such a recruitment maneuver compared to those who did not have any effect on the recruitment maneuver, had no effect on oxygenation. And they looked in some details in terms of pressure. As you can see, by the recruitment maneuver, the airway pressure was for both patients increased to 40 centimeters for 40 seconds. But if you looked at at the volume effect on lung volume, total lung volumes, In one group, the responders, the lung volume, went up and remained higher after recruitment, whereas it went up much less and dropped back to the baseline in the non-responders. If we go a step further and look at the effect of the transesophageal pressure as an indirect measure of pleural pressure, we can clearly see that in one group this pressure went much higher up and dropped back again than in another group. So the transpulmonary pressure, which is the difference between the pressure applied outside and the intrapulmonary pressure, this effect was completely different in two groups. And those who had a higher transpulmonary pressure during this recruit maneuver were seem to be the recruiters. And these were exactly those who had a lower lung elastance. As a baseline setting, remembering lung elastance is the inverse of the compliance. So the patients with better lung compliance were the recruiter ranks, Those who had lower lung compliance, more severe lung disease, were not recruiting at this pressure setting. And this does not mean that if they would have gone up perhaps to 50 centimeters of water for a certain time, that some of these patients would have become recruiters. And this indicates clearly that we cannot define like this a a certain level of centimeters water to, to be applied outside to a patient and then hope that he's recruiting or not. It's depending from his respiratory system mechanics and the distribution between compliance of the chest wall and compliance of the lung.
1: Peter, it, you know, as you could imagine, uh, our colleagues around the world um, I'm sure appreciate this very thoughtful overview and as you well know, they really want to ask you, okay, can you give us some guidance on what do you do with tidal volumes, and what do you do with limiting pressures? And I know you, know you well pointed out that you have to individualize, but if you had to give some guidance,
2: what would you say? So if you think about how to choose a tidal volume, I think we have to remember that we have to adjust the tidal volumes according to the degree of a disease or the disease severity. And as I try to point out, it's depending how big is your useful lung or your functional lung volume that you can ventilate. So I would say that we should think in ranges instead of fixed numbers. So in my opinion, tidal volumes should be in the range of three to six milliliters per kilo. So three just above dead space ventilation through the apparatus for patients with poor respiratory system compliance, and closer to physiologic ranges in patients that have less severe lung disease, they have preserved respiratory system compliance, so there I would go much closer to five to eight meter per kilogram. If you ask him about pressures, pressure limitations, I think we can also forward a few numbers carefully, so first, certainly we would like and we would need to measure transport pressure much more often, which is one of the big problems we still face in a clinical setting. Certainly you can say that inspiratory plateau pressure should in patients not go above 28. From what we know from the pediatric studies if you look at the pressure uh, effect on mortality and we also know, know nowadays from adult study groups that they start to tend to use low to limit their pressures much lower. Uh, if you have a patient with a very stiff chest wall with a distended abdomen There, you might actually allow for slightly higher pressures in the range from 29 to 32. But I would be extremely careful to go above the settings.
1: Well, Peter, that's been a terrific overview of um, the literature and uh, your guidance on how to think about this. Uh, And it's been presented in a very thoughtful way that I'm sure our colleagues around the world will uh, greatly appreciate. So thank you very much for uh, being with us today on the World Share Practice Forum.
2: Thank you.